Lord God and Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be with us during this message. Help us to grow in love and knowledge of Jesus, praising him, glorifying you, all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're going to explain mankind's relationship to God, to a 10-year-old, what would you say? Now, I know that's a pretty big ask, isn't it, right? Because there's a lot that you could say. But how do you make it very simple? So you could say something like, well, God made us, gave us a wonderful place to be, and he said just two things, love me and obey what I say. Not hard, right? But we messed it up. And we messed it up in such a way that we can't fix it. And we can't even fix our relationship with God. So God did something. He provided for himself what we can't provide. He did something for himself that we can't do. And he gave us our, his son, our Savior, Jesus. Now, that, that's kind of the nutshell of it, isn't it? I mean, kind of the essence of it. There's obviously a lot more that goes into it, but that kind of describes our relationship with God and God's relationship with us, that God provides what we can't provide. This is kind of the story of the nation of Israel. God led them into the promised land, and then he gave them judges to rule, to guide them. But did they always obey the judges? No. And so did they get in trouble. And then God provided a way for them to get out of trouble. But they kept going down and down and down. Until they finally said, you know what? We want a king for ourselves. So that we will be just like all the other nations. But Israel wasn't supposed to be like all the other nations. They were supposed to be God's people, called apart, holy. So did they listen to God? Right, this is kind of like the children's sermon version, isn't it? Did they listen to God? No! They chose a king for themselves. His name was Saul, and he was not a good king. He did things that were against God's word. And then he would try to justify his actions before God. Doesn't that sound familiar too? Like our relationship before God? Like, I know God I was supposed to, but... So, God provided for himself what the nation of Israel could not provide or would not provide. He would provide for himself a king for the nation of Israel, a king after his own heart. Now, in this story, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's this wonderful story about what God has done, what God has provided, but it's not just about the nation of Israel, because in this account, we are going to sing not only, see not only what God has provided for Israel, but what God has provided for the world. Because for the world, he has provided Christ, the king. This is the story of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now let's go to this account. 
I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do, and you shall anoint for me whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him and trembling said, Do you come peacefully? Peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, you might think that this is just exposition. This is kind of, is just a setup to the really good part of the story. But there is so much in here that we are going to pause because it shows what God had planned all along. Not only for Israel, but for us as well. And so we're going to take a look at four different things. The first is the town and occupation. Notice that he says to go to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was not a important, really important town. Not much good was coming out of Bethlehem. It's where you would find a lot of shepherds, and thus you would find David, who would be the shepherd king. But from, from that town, who else came to be the shepherd king? Jesus, right? <laughs> The answer is always Jesus. There you go. You can put that in there. It's, it's the punchline to an old Sunday school joke. The answer, the answer is always Jesus. So God not only said from Bethlehem will come a shepherd king for Israel, but also from Bethlehem would come the shepherd king for the world. It says this, so Micah wrote this, and he wrote it about 300 years after our reading from 1 Samuel, but about 700 years before Christ was born. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, yeah, can't say that name this morning, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, and he shall stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty and the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. By the way, notice that Samuel brought a heifer, and he said, I have come in peace. This is a peace sacrifice. So we have the town and the occupation. But we also have his parents. And his parents is Jesse. Now, Jesse. You might think, well, who's Jesse? Well, do you remember the last two Sundays we talked about 
the sequence of the order of the Old Testament. And right after Judges comes what book? It's a very short little book. Ruth comes the book of Ruth. Why is Ruth there? Because in that book, we see the lineage of David, and not only David, of Jesus. It says this in Ruth, chapter 4, verse 21, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So if you ever wondered why Ruth, the book of Ruth, that little short book is right there, that's the reason for it. It shows the lineage. Now, how important is Jesse? Well, it says in Isaiah chapter 11, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide dispute by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. All of this a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So we have not only the town and occupation, we have his parents, and then we also have the horn of oil. So God told Samuel, fill your horn with oil and anoint the one who I tell you to anoint. Now, there are a lot of people who were anointed in the Old Testament. So Moses anointed Aaron as high priest. And the little Levitical priests, they were anointed with oil as well. But here we find something different. And he's supposed to anoint him from the horn of oil. So the horn is important here. It would normally just kind of pass us by. But when you think of a horn from a bull or a ram, it symbolizes the power of the bull or the power of the ram. So when we find the horn being used throughout Scripture, it talks not just about the power, but the power and might and strength of God. And this is what we find in the horn. And this is the first time the horn with oil is used in the Old Testament. You see, David actually wrote about this in Psalm 18. And it might have slipped by. We actually had it as our opening psalm. It said, he said this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The horn of salvation, the strength and might, the power of God. Who else is called the horn of salvation? Jesus is. In Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 69, 
And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in this house of his servant, David. You see, Jesus is the horn of salvation. He is the power. He is the strength. He is the might, the glory of God. He is the horn of salvation. And in him and him alone is found redemption, is found saving grace. And he is the power of God. You see, so many people think about Jesus as this meek, mild person. And they don't realize, they gloss over all the aspects about how strong, powerful, and mighty he is. And we just don't read into that because we want to read into that. It is what God has declared about Christ Jesus. And this leads us to the next part. The Lord's anointed. From our reading, For I have provided for myself a king among his sons, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare. So David was the Lord's anointed. Not just anointed by man, not just somebody who oil was poured over, but somebody that God chose, God set apart, God consecrated for his own will, for his work. Now this Hebrew word for anointed is mashach. Meshach, I believe I'm pronouncing that close. Now, it might sound a little familiar if I use this word Messiah. So, Messiah. And in the Greek, Messiah, or anointed, is Christ. So, Christ is truly the Lord's anointed. Thus, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, you are the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, the one who has come to save his people. That is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. See, the first sermon that we have of Jesus in a synagogue he chose Isaiah 61, and he says, said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You see, in short order, God has said, I will provide this. I will provide for the nation of Israel someone from this town who is a shepherd, who comes from Jesse, who is given my strength and anointing. And not only that, when you understand, you will see that Christ Jesus is what God has provided for us. 
And when you just sit in that and understand what God has done, it's that song that we sang in the opening, I stand amazed. I, I, I stand amazed at that. When you see all the different connections, what God has provided for us, what we cannot do. So God has provided for himself a king, one who is after his own heart. Verse 6 from our reading from 1 Samuel. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Samuel was looking just by visual clue who the Lord's anointed would be. It was the first son, and that's got to be it. And it's amazing how much emphasis we place on outward appearance, isn't it? I mean, if you were going to cast a movie with a leading man, you would naturally probably go with somebody who is tall and handsome and charismatic, right? I mean, that's how much we have on appearances. And even leading men, so Tom Cruise, for example, Right? One of the leading, do you know how tall, tall Tom Cruise is? Five seven. And he actually will wear lifts even out in public. And what they do with the camera angles, they, they either have him standing on a box or somebody standing lower, right? And they have the camera, camera angles angling up just a little. So he looks taller. So he looks like a leader. And by the way, it's just not for leading men. For leading women, they all have to be almost beauty pageant queens, don't they? I mean, I can't tell you how many action movies I watched where the woman looks like she just came off a pageant show. And, and, and it's like, right? Because we have this idea what appearances do. We even do this with our elected leaders. We look to say, do they look presidential? Could you imagine Abraham Lincoln being elected in today's environment? He wouldn't, would he? People would make fun of him so much because of how he looked. So we are geared for outward appearances. Samuel was that way as well. But what does it say? It's, I mean, he went through all the sons, by the way. But then, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but looks on the out man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And what we find here is a foundational truth of God. And I like how it was put by uh, the Reformation Study Bible. It says that God, it shows us that God's standards are inwards, not outwards. This is partly from the gospel reading today. Everybody was judging Jesus by the outwards. But he said, I don't judge that way. It is by the inward. You see, the Jews of the day were taking a look at just the outward appearance, where they 
fulfilling the rituals, the form of the faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up kind of observing just the rituals or the form without the substance. I grew up Roman Catholic. Now, I'm not picking on Roman Catholics whatsoever. That's just how I grew up. And we were good Roman Catholics, and we did the form of our faith. We went to church every Sunday. We did confession. We did holy days of obligation, all of that, right? But I had the form of my faith without the actual faith. And that's for a lot of people. Many have the form of faith without the actual faith, or you could say form without substance. Now, I don't blame my parents because that's how they were raised. And that's how their parents were raised. I wish, however, my parents had actually talked about the substance of our faith, not just the form. And my regret when uh, raising our daughter, it wasn't until much later on, until she was a teenager, that I really started really coming to my faith. And I wish I had taught her the substance of our faith, not just the form. But that's what we do. And that's the culture in which we live. And when it's just about the culture, or and when the culture is just about the outward form, you can look at somebody who goes to church, right? Who might even sing in the choir. Who might do all of those types of things. And from the outward appearance, well, they have faith, don't they? But is that how God judges? Are they alive in their faith? You see, what's the status of their heart? And when I say heart, I'm just not talking about the emotions. I'm talking about the totality of the person. Is their heart, mind, and soul focused on God's will? Are they committed to His will and His purpose? This is what God is looking at for each and every one of us. Now in David, it Scripture says he found a man after his own heart from our reading in Acts, Acts 13. And when he had removed him, that's Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. But what does that mean to be a man after God's heart? Well, there's a whole lot of things we could cover. Here are a couple. The first is to love God. Not just intellectually, right? But actually to love God. What did it say in our psalm from Psalm 18? He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. To have a heart after God means that you worship God. You rejoice and worship Him. Uh, this one, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. We rejoice and worship God for who God is. That we have faith in God. And we talked about this a lot last week. Yes, I trust God, but trust God fully. Who did David fight? 
David fought Goliath, right? Now we all take a look at that and say, well, there's really courage, there's faith. Yes, and there's more. David also wrote, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And he would write things like this, even though he was being chased by Saul throughout the countryside. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's faith. So we are to love, rejoice, and worship, to have faith, to follow his commands. Saul didn't. David did. Perfectly? No. We're going to get to that. Because when he did sin, and when he was called out upon his sin, he repented and sought forgiveness. David wrote this very famous Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. See, he knew his heart wasn't after God during that time. He had sinned. He said, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We're going to sing at the very end, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that really ties to the psalm, create me a clean heart, O God. Wash me thoroughly. You see, all of these things are about having a heart after God. And when you have a heart after God, the outward life follows. See, when you know who Jesus is, when you know what he has done for you, when you are filled with his love and his grace and his mercy, it actually does change your heart, doesn't it? And because your heart's changed, then your outer life changes as well. You stop doing the things that are against God's will. You start going to church. You start reading your Bible. You start doing all of that, not because you're supposed to, because your heart has changed. And that's why here at Joy Church, we focus on the gospel again and again and again, because it is the gospel that brings the dead to life. It is the gospel that compels you, that lifts you up, that leads you on. It is the gospel again and again that we need to hear, that moves us, that draws us closer into the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. It is the gospel again and again and again. And look, it is the gospel and that alone that changes your heart. So there are people who are living with only the outward appearance, the form of their faith with actually out the faith, thinking they're fooling God. Are they fooling God? No, not, not at all. As a matter of fact, when God looks at their heart, as a matter of fact, when God looks at our heart, what would he see? And when I think about that, I cringe, right? I, I somehow want to hide my heart from God's. 
Because I, I, I know I am far from perfect. But this is where the gospel comes in. You see, apart from Christ Jesus, my heart is not good at all. But in Christ Jesus, we have been given his heart. We are a new creation. And there's no condemnation anymore for us in Christ Jesus. That what David said has been true. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And we are given the heart of the one who is truly after the heart of God, and that is Jesus. His heart is pure, undefiled, spotless, blameless. And when we confess him and have faith in him, we are covered and we are washed clean by his blood. That's the gospel. That's the salvation that is for each and every one of us. So this is an amazing statement that God does not judge by appearance. He does not judge by the outward, but by the inward. And God has provided for us what we cannot provide for our own heart. He has provided for us the heart of Christ Jesus. So God has provided for himself a king after his own heart, and the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So the Spirit of the Lord, and we find this again and again with Jesus, that the Spirit of the Lord is with him fully. Go back to some of the readings that I covered. The fullness of the Spirit of God. The power. So Jesus came not just as one is meek and mild, but in the full power of God. The Spirit of the Lord being with him. And how important is the Spirit of the Lord in our lives? Oh, it's so important. You see, without the Spirit of the Lord, we can't do anything. It is the Spirit of the Lord that guides and directs us, gives us power and strength to do the Lord's work. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do, only do our will, not the will of God. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit is with every single believer in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit then sanctifies you and keeps guiding you into the heart evermore of who Jesus is. And it's the, and you know this one. It's called our conscience. The Holy Spirit kind of goes, <clears throat> Hello? I don't think you should be doing that. You should be doing this instead. I don't think you should be really engaged on social media with such words. Let grace, let give grace to all of your words. Or it's the Holy Spirit who says, you know, that television show, that movie you're watching, 
That's not good. It's just corrupting. Fill your mind with things that are of God, not of this world. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you actually have the strength then to do His will. Because it's the Holy Spirit who again points you again and again to Christ Jesus. Look, there's the Savior. There's the Anointed One. There is the horn of your salvation. Follow Him. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. David had the hot power of the Holy Spirit. And as it talks about before with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would kind of come and go with people. With David, it says it stayed forever with him. And that's the promise that you and I have in Christ Jesus, that we are led by the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt forever. Okay, I know. I know that we covered a lot of things today, didn't we? Pretty broad swath. That's why I started off with the children's sermon. So let's kind of end a little bit with the children's sermon. God has done what we cannot, provided for himself a king. God has chosen one whose heart is after the Lord, a king who will be filled with the Holy Spirit to do his work. Was all of that fulfilled in David? Yes. Was all of that fulfilled in Christ the King? Yes. So how do we apply this today, right? You're like, okay, how do we apply that? Well, there are three things for you. Marvel at what God has done. Stand amazed in his presence. And thank Jesus, the horn of your salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Thank you for your, thank God, thank Jesus for your salvation. That is truly your salvation. And then pray, pray for the Holy Spirit to continue to work on your heart, to continue to guide you. That is your sanctification. And all of this, we thank God and we say, Amen.